Are we rolling? We actually are rolling. What? Uh-huh. Okay. I hit the button. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. So here's the deal. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. And this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what's mattering to us this week. We're so happy you're here with us. And hi, sweetheart. Hello. Hi. Shall we start with some announcements, announcements, announcements? Wow, you really did a good job singing the tune today. Okay, I did it for you. Thank you. Uh, I have one announcement. Okay, me too. Okay, would you want to go with yours? Sure, happy okay, to. Mine is just a long-standing announcement, people. Here's the deal. Our album, the new Shannon Curtis masterpiece, Good To Me... <laughs> is out in the world. She laughs, but she laughs out of humility. It's a fucking good record, you guys. It's out in the world. It's everywhere now. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Music. It's on Tidal. It's on Cobuzz. It's on Deezer. We could be here all day listing all the streaming services. There are many. Yeah. There's like 145 of them or something. Yeah. There's about as many streaming services as there are countries. It doesn't mean there's like a one-to-one mapping, but there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just go listen to it. If you want to hear it for free, it's on Bandcamp. Just Google Shannon Curtis Bandcamp and you'll find it. Uh, Listen to it wherever you like to listen to music. We just, we want you to hear what we make. Yeah. That's it, really. You know, we do this as our life's work. We do a lot of things for our life's work, but for both of us, music has a special resonance and relevance. It's one of the primary ways that we communicate our feelings about things to the world. And we make it and we put it out there Really, the least you could do is just listen to it. It's just—it's the most passive I mean, device. You don't owe that to us or anybody. But seriously, like, how much less could you do? You know what I mean? You oh. could literally just like be sitting in a chair drooling and listening to Shannon's record. Okay, that's a great image. Uh-huh. That's, that's inspiring. I'm sure lots of people are going to go listen with I'm that sure, image in their mind. I'm just trying to hit niche demographics with are these you? ongoing announcements. Okay, I hit the likes to sit in a chair and drool demo hard today. All right. All right, well, at least it's done now and we don't have to do it again. (laughs) Right? Uh, They might come in handy in the future. I don't know. I don't want to rule them out. All right. That could be our biggest demographic. Thank you for listening to our album. We really appreciate it. Yes, we do. It means a lot. Yep. I think that's what Jamie was trying to say with all of that is it means a lot to us when you listen to our music. Thank you. Thanks, Droolers. Um, So my announcement is related to our new album and that is that we, uh, I, I wrote a companion book to go with this album. Yep. And that book uh, is having its official launch. <sighs> we're, we get to call it official because we're in charge. Um, yeah. The official launch is January 31st. Just How a, great. A couple of weeks away. Um, but here's the deal. You can actually order your copy now. And uh, we'll put the link to order the copy of the book via Amazon uh, in the show notes. Yep. Thank you for doing that, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can order, you can choose the paperback version yep. or the very gorgeous hardcover. They're both actually very pretty. Yeah. But uh, you can you can choose your own adventure there. And for those of you who are Misfit Stars supporters who have a book coming to you as a gift, um, they should be arriving in your mailbox any minute now. They're on the way. The the paperbacks, I should say. We had a production delay. We're so sorry for that. It's not us. We ordered them promptly. We did. But... And I think just over the holiday, yeah. uh, the the Amazon, we use uh, KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. You know, it's an Amazon thing. I just think they were pretty busy Maybe. over the holidays is my guess. Yeah. They're getting caught up now. So, so we, we expect that we should have the hardcovers in our hand to mail out those gifts to those misfit stars who are expecting the hardcover. Uh, we hope that that's happening next week. So yeah. thank Any you for your now. patience. Any yeah. day now. Uh, but, but everybody else, um, you can go buy the Good to Me companion book on Amazon um, and then join us 
this uh, on January 31st on launch day, um, we're going to be kicking off a 10 day long uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram live book club. Yeah. So we're going to get on online uh, every evening at 7 p.m. Pacific and we're going to, uh, we're going to read a chapter from the book. Yep. And we're going to discuss it in real time with you in the comments. So we'll be posing, you know, questions, um, that kind of thing in the middle of reading the book. So like interspersed with reading the chapter, we will uh, also be reading your comments as you chime in with your thoughts about the concept of each chapter. So it'll be really fun. And we'll be posing you intentional questions to think about also. It's really fun. It'll be a neat way for you to just think about some stuff and process some feelings with us. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. So there we go. Jamie, how are you feeling today? Oh, thanks for asking, sweetheart. You know, today I'm feeling relaxed and optimistic. Oh, that's great. Good feelings. Yes. Yep. Uh, Just feeling kind of chill, stoked about stuff, happy about the work I'm doing. I just feel optimistic about the future, too. I don't have (laughs) any really, like, tangible good reason I can point to for that. Mm. It's so funny. I was talking with a friend about this last night, a music friend who I was doing some work with, and I hadn't talked with him in a bit, and he was just sharing how, like, every year for the past many years, his partner's been like, see you in hell 2021. (laughs) See you in hell 2022, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... Like, greeting the new year that way? Totally. Like, how could it be worse, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah. And things remain fraught in a number of ways, for sure, but... That notwithstanding, I just feel optimistic right now. Mm, that's cool. Uh huh. It is cool. That's great. I mean, honestly, like I, I feel the same way. Okay. Uh, just in the in the broader sense of you know feeling gen- generally optimistic about things. Yeah. I credit like all of that feeling mm-hmm. to the work that I did in making the Good to Me album. Like yeah. honestly, the the work of like reconnecting to my personal sense of peace and power yeah. in the midst of a world on fire. Yeah. Like I, I really credit the work that I dove in and did last year with the feeling I have now of something like hope. Like it's not it's not like I've got some like rosy rosy eyed, you know, view of what of the of the world, right? Like there's still serious issues we're sure. all facing, right? But like my general outlook on a day-to-day basis in terms of like my place in the world and what I'm able to do in the world, I I I feel I feel pretty good about. And in a sort of sort of steady way, not in like a a high on anything way, mm. like high on life, but just in a like, okay, like a, like a, like the kind of place that you that you arrive to when you when you practice acceptance. Mm. You know, I'm totally going off into left field here. Uh, and that's I okay. Hope that's okay. But that's like, literally the entire yes. point of this podcast. So, uh, one of our Misfit Stars posted, um, I, I pose every, I try to remember every week at the beginning of the week to post in our, in our private social network for Misfit Stars, uh, just a, a feelings check-in. How are you feeling this week? What do you need? Mm-hmm. You know, like just so that we can all have an opportunity to just check in with how we're doing, you know? Not and, unlike and, we do on this podcast. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so one of our Misfit Stars responded this morning um, sharing an, uh, just some really tough circumstances that she's been through mm-hmm. over the last month or so. Mm-hmm. I mean, really tough on mm-hmm. a number of levels. And I was so freaking inspired reading her post about how she's feeling. Like I, uh, some of the words that she used were um, accepting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe she used the word steady. Are you going to look it up for me to see specifically? I'd be I'd happy to. Sure. That. Yeah. But the point, my point was that like she shared 
some really hard stuff that she's dealing with. Mm -hmm. And also she shared about how clearly she's doing her work in, in, in the kind of way that's allowing her to have just a sort of a steady presence in, in the midst of acceptance of those things. And, and also direction about what she's going to do moving forward in her life as a result of having these experiences. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just really, I, that, that's kind of, it kind of summarizes how I feel, I'm feeling about the state of, of things in the world, right? Like, like I'm not, um, I, it's not like I've got this like rosy-eyed view of, of how things are going to be great. Mm-hmm. I don't know how things are going to be. I don't know. Yeah. But I know that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. that, 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 that's the thing I think that, that's the gift I think that we give ourselves when we practice radical acceptance and, and clear out space in our, in our spirits to be able to hear what we need and how to move forward given the reality of what is. If I can take your thought process even a little further out toward... Uh, the back reaches of left field. Okay, great. Out, out by the fence. Please do. Out near the scoreboard. Yeah, okay. Um, I think that part of my journey with this mm. has been an evolution for, in my understanding of what it means for the world to have hard times. Because uh. like when you're younger, I don't think you really have an idea of what hard times are. I mean, mm. sometimes people are raised in really hard circumstances, but I think they're much more personal in that sense. When you're yes. a little kid, oh, things yeah. can be really hard in your personal life, but you don't have a sense of the arc of the world, the arc of history. Yeah. You get that as you grow older. You know what I mean? Right. And I think, Some people do. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ideally, we learn and grow. Not everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Some terms of exclusions may apply. Um, but I have come to the understanding relatively recently that the world has always oh, yeah. been hard. Yeah. Always. There has never been a rosy time. Mm-hmm. This whole like make America great again thing that harkens back to a time when things were great. They weren't great then. Bullshit. They were really hard. MAGA is referring to the 50s. The 50s were turbulent. They were really, really hard. Well, right? for a lot of middle class white people, they were having the time of their lives. Sure. <laughs> so that's the, what they're referring to. But the world still had a tremendous amount of instability, yeah. right? Like geopolitics were as turbulent then as they are now. Right. It's not like there was no, some time when things were peaceful and now things are hard. Right. Things have been hard for every single generation of people since there were people having generations. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, mm. for millions of years, mm. things have been hard. It's hard to be a sentient human being. And I think that this idea that we, like, that 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 people it, they didn't have to persevere back then. Perseverance is a new thing that we've mm. learned now that things are hard. Mm. Things have always been hard, and right. people have always had to persevere. Right. And people have thrived in every era. It's true. You know what I yeah. mean? We're not special. We're not unique little flowers. Yeah. We just have to do really what is the basic the basic life skill for any person, any any sentient being on this planet who wants not to live in misery, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. It's to accept things. It's to do that personal work. It's to understand that things are hard. Things have always been hard. Yet people have always flourished and I can flourish too if I do some work on myself. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And by the way, I did look up what this person said in our Misfit Stars social network. The the adjectives that she used, she said she's feeling very contemplative, Mm. very accepting Mm. and peaceful. Peaceful. I love that. I love it. I was so freaking inspired. So yeah. thank you, Misfit Star. Yeah. We appreciate you. Um, so 
That was all on the tail end of the how are you feeling, yes. Jamie? How are you feeling, oh, okay. Shannon? <laughs> Great. You know, I'm I've, I'm feeling a little tired and I don't really, I haven't figured out why. So I have huh. nothing more to say about that. Just yeah. kind of like, eh. But yeah. at the same time, I'm also feeling pretty content mm. and steady. And I'm feeling really engaged in the work that we have set out for ourselves this year. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm like enjoying it. So yep. all good. Awesome. Um, So let's dive into our segment called Let's Get Less Dumb. Class, anyone? Anyone? I have the most interesting thing that I want to talk with you about. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So I learned... Uh, this week in uh, one of these Substack newsletters that I get. Yep. This one from a guy named Brian Kloss. Okay. K-L-A-A-S. Mm-hmm. Dutch, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, it's about schemas. Okay, what's a schema? Oh, man, let's talk about schemas. <laughs> okay, so as humans, we tend to imagine, right, that there's like this sort of file drawer inside of our heads in which we place every single bit of information we have ever encountered and it gets put in <laughs> like a, like in a library pristinely and it can be retrieved at any time pristinely. You yes. know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like you take this information, you put it carefully in a Ziploc bag and you put that Ziploc bag in a filing system on a shelf and when you take it back out... And you go to the Dewey Decimal System and you figure out where it is. Yeah, and, you t- <laughs> and when you find it, you pull it back out and it's still pristine as you put it in, the, as a day you put it in something, inside this little bag. Something tells me that's not exactly how our brains <sighs> Man, work. Man, that's not the case at all, okay? okay? Because here's why. Like, imagine... That's way too much information. Well, right? yeah, right? So the whole world, like every single thing we experience, if you think about it, is basically kind of data. It's like a giant yeah. set of data. Yeah. And if we were to parse every little teeny tiny bit of it, yeah. it would cause us to malfunction. Seriously, right? like looking at my window right now, if I, I'm looking at our winter birch tree, Yeah. okay? There's no leaves on it, yeah. but there's a ton of branches. Yeah. Like if I was if I were going to be filing accurately the data of that tree, oh my God. I would be like every single branch I'd have to enumerate and describe. Like that would be way yeah. too much, like right? Every single shade of yellow to green on every single leaf that's left on the tree, <laughs> and then not just that tree, but every bright blade of grass and every other tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, just imagine walking down a city street, how you could get overwhelmed because you don't just walk by a brick building and then a wood building. You walk by a building with ten thousand bricks, and you got to look at the color of all of them. Right. Right, right. And every single detail and, of molding yeah. and the shape, right? Yeah. And uh, it just wouldn't be practical. And right. then imagine also just like every single person you pass as you're walking down the street. Right. It's not just like I passed some people. It's for every single person. I passed a middle-aged woman with graying hair wearing a pink short sleeve shirt with a boom box on it over a long sleeve gray shirt, blue <laughs> jeans and penny loafers. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then for the next person and the next person and the next person, Way too much. you would go mad. Yeah. So instead... We often process information using what's called schemas. Okay. Uh, it's like a cognitive psychology slash neuroscience kind of concept, okay. right? Schema refers to patterns of thought that provide intellectual shortcuts mm-hmm. for processing the information that we encounter in our lives. Okay. And you can think of it a bit like being your brain's like organizational system, right? Which structures mm-hmm. all of our knowledge. Old knowledge, new knowledge, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... As we were just talking about, there are vast quantities of data. And we can't organize it all in a granular, individual piece level. So, right, instead of being like, this is a white tree that's 17 feet tall and has 285 branches Mm -hmm. and this many leaves and they're all of these different colors, we're just like, 
It's a birch tree. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. And that's the schema for yeah. that. Um, and so the brain basically does what this guy describes as sort of intellectual triage, right? Where most of the information that we process about the world is culled and discarded. Okay. We take it on board, we triage it, and if it's not important enough to store in any specificity, we just get rid of it. And also in that process is that, that when we bring in that information, the stuff that we that we do hold on to, we hold on to it according to these sort of schemas that we already have You're developed. getting a little bit I, ahead of me. I'm just trying to understand you. I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's absolutely fine. So this intellectual triage thing is like a really efficient way of dealing with and navigating what he describes as an immeasurably complex world, which okay. is really true. There's so many things out there, yeah. so many little details, right? And our brains have evolved to process information this way just because it helps us survive. Right. Because if we were focusing on every single like leaf, on every single plant in the jungle, we probably wouldn't notice the puma that was about to eat us. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, do pumas even live in jungles? I don't, I know. don't know. It works. I'm going with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And so that said, though, some information is important and it needs to be retained, mm -hmm. you know, and it needs to be retained efficiently in a format that can be useful to us later on. Okay. And so what this kind of means is that we develop sort of intellectual shorthands for things, right? So as he puts here in this example, rather than remembering exactly what every office we have ever set foot in looks like, <laughs> we develop kind of a conceptual representation of what an office is okay. and what it sort of looks like, generally speaking, in our mind. And so then, in the future, when we remember a particular office, we just kind of fill in gaps based on our mental model of what an office is. So, for example, we might go into an office and look at someone's desk. We might be in your cube for a minute talking to them. And we might subsequently remember describing to someone that they had a computer and they had an inbox and outbox and they had a stapler. They may not have had a stapler, but in our mind, we think of an office cube as like, here are the things that are in it. Yeah. And you, so we just kind of remember, I think, I think I had a stapler. Okay. Maybe it didn't have a stapler. But we do that because it fits within our schema mm -hmm. of what an office is. Trying right? really hard not to go to left field with, I want my stapler. Oh my gosh. <laughs> office space. Anyway. Best movie ever. Keep going. Yes. And so psychology and neuroscience experiments have shown something even cooler. Okay. Right? Okay. The schemas in our heads actually alter how we perceive the world. Okay. And they do so in this way. We tend to pay attention more to that which matches our schemas most. And when reality doesn't conform to the schemas that we have built up, we sometimes just reshape reality in our memories so that it matches the schema. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So you can see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we're going to get into a couple of areas of how this sort of affects our day-to-day -day experience. Okay. Let's talk about how it affects our uh, political experience, right? Oh, okay. okay. So, uh, and I'm just going to continue here. Uh, because schemas provide, you know, intellectual shortcuts, yes. like we've been talking about, uh, po political schemas tend to be defined by a big picture view of who people are and how things work. Like you can think of it as being like really simplified or really dumbed down shorthands that describe large groups of people or big events, complex events in a really simple way. And we okay. see this all the time when yes. we're being communicated to, right? Through the media, whatever. It's like media does varying levels of trying to honestly represent the complexity of something, but necessarily they have to distill it down. And when you think about like demagogues, like politicians, people on the TV, whatever, people who are trying to influence you in a certain way, they make it much, much more reductive and much simpler, right? Um, because, because 
it requires less thought. That's it. It requires people to not have to do the work of actually analyzing in any sort of complex way. They can be like, oh, I already understand this check, and therefore this is how I think about this situation. Like you just- Almost the reverse. Okay, okay. It's really much more... I understand the situation, and so therefore, this is how I think about okay, this. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. One flows from the other. And so, you know how over the last like week or so, gas stoves have become like a whole shit show in the country, oh right? My gosh. Where everyone's all up in arms about gas stoves. Everyone like everyone on like Fox News is like, Joe Biden's trying to take away your gas stove. Which right? It's not. It's just not what's not. actually happening. But here is Begin tell me why it's happening. Here's the thing. Yeah, totally. Uh Republicans have spent a lot of time and effort over the past, like, many, many, many decades, five, six decades, portraying Democrats as being out-of-touch socialist elites who think that the solution to every single problem is government intervention, right? And so it's like big government Democrats. Right. They're like, they, they're the big government liberals, tax and spend liberals, right. right? They want to take your money and they want to regulate everything, yeah. right? That's just what we hear about Democrats, right? And so that's why they've made that's gas... That's the schema, that's the schema. Okay. That is the that is the informational shorthand. Okay. That they have really They've defined. Hammered home. They have <laughs> to their base. <laughs> invented it, defined it, and hammered it home yeah. over a period of not weeks but decades. Yeah. I mean, basically the entirety of your and my lifespans, right? So I'm guessing that like when anything actually happens, like if 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 Democrats are doing things that don't fit the schema, that actually anyone who's already bought into the schema can't even see the reality. Oh, 100%. And here's a great example. Okay. The defund the police, right? Okay. So remember in like 2020, like defund the police became a whole thing. And uh, as he points out here, this is a tagline that is likely to haunt Democrats for years into the future. The reason being... For purely strategic and cognitive psychological reasons, it doesn't matter at all what the actually actual reality of the situation is on the ground. Right. In actuality, uh, Joe Biden has proposed $35 billion in increased funding for law enforcement and is working to recruit 100,000 new police officers. But, He's literally doing the opposite of defund the police. He's doing re- fund and recruit the police. Right. But because Republicans have hammered into people's heads over decades that Democrats are anti-safety, they're anti-cops, they're, we're the party of responsibility and safety. They want to fire all the cops and have open borders and anarchy. Right. And, and so it doesn't really matter at all what the actual truth is about police funding. All that matters is that defund the police fits exactly into the schema that people have of who Democrats are, right? The, the, the false, yeah. Yeah, false right? False perception. It's really, uh, it, it, it's really wild to think about this. How- and, Oh, you, you, we started to talk about the stoves. And, and so, and then when they- Yes, and yes, then yes. And it's stopped. another thing, right? Because it fits perfectly. That's why, that's why a Republican, like pundits and whatnot, over this last six or seven days, have been hammering, hammering, hammering on this gas stoves thing, turning it into the biggest thing since Benghazi, right? Right. Because- uh, What actually happened was that there was a report- There was a report, on, like in the Washington Post last week, it was just a study that was released showing that gas stoves contribute to uh, subpar indoor air quality- yeah. Right, uh, which can lead to childhood asthma. 
Right. And there's like, there's a huge correlation. It's something on the order of like 20% of homes that have gas stoves and children, the kids get asthma. I mean, it's way above and beyond homes that don't. You know Uh what I mean? So it's just really a health thing. It's like, do you want your kid to struggle with breathing their entire leaf? Or have increased odds of that happening? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a one in five chance of your precious little person suffering with breathing problems their entire life, you'd think you'd want to avoid that. Yeah, And so they publish a study and they publicize it just to let people know. You know what I mean? And Republicans turned that into They're Democrats taking, are taking away your gas stoves. Yeah, Dem- yeah, Democrats. But here's the thing. The reason that's so resonant with people is because <sighs> they have built up this schema right. over the last 45 or so years that Democrats are the party of overregulation and they make your life worse by regulating everything and taking away your freedoms. Mm. And freedoms can be anything. Freedoms can be constitutional rights. They can also be gas stoves. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just whatever. It's I just have like a this- God-given right to have a gas stove. Seriously. In America, <laughs> you kind of do. You don't have a God-given right to health care but, you know, God forbid they try to take <laughs> away your asthma device, you know. Right. It's really nuts. And, you know, to sum up here, okay. uh, it doesn't matter what's true. <laughs> it really doesn't matter what's true. Excuse me, can I have a moment to cry? Yeah. And it's a wild thing to think about, but all that matters, literally the only thing that matters is what mental framework people use to assess situations. And specifically, what mental framework voters use to assess political options in front of them, right? And to a large degree, this, like, people in politics think that you're going to win the argument. A lot of people in politics think that, like, if you just have better facts, you'll win the argument. I mean... That's what you learned in school in debate class. In a just world, that would be true, but clearly that's not borne out. Not at all. Winning the argument he says here, in politics, is often not at all about finding more or better facts. It's simply about perception and the cognitive shortcuts we use to process information as we sort our world into neat categories that make sense to us. Wow. And the takeaway here, and this has a lot of really interesting ramifications above and beyond just politics. I brought it home to politics because it's mm-hmm. relevant to some current events that are happening today, mm-hmm. and it's helpful to understand like how that works. But also, if you think about anything you're trying to convince somebody of, any argument you're trying to make with anybody, <laughs> say that you you want to try to convince your loved one to go on a vacation. I don't know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. The way you first frame it, the very first thing you say when you first mention it, mm-hmm. com- to a large extent, completely dictates the frame and the boundaries for that discussion. Wow. Uh-huh. It's not unlike another thing I learned recently, which is that in negotiations like over salary or the price of something, like a haggling yeah. of some sort, yeah. the first number that somebody says, Uh it doesn't matter whose side it's on, the first number that somebody says defines the range of the subsequent discussion. It's kind of like the schema for the discussion. It's exactly it. It's literally it. It's a schema for Mm -hmm. that negotiation. Mm -hmm. So if you want to come out of it with a job where you're making $70,000 a year and you say, I'd like to make $70,000 a year, you have just defined the upward boundary of a subsequent negotiation, right. and negotiations never end where they start, right? <laughs> no. Meaning that like, if you want to end at 70K, it's really smart, first of all, for you to be the first person to say something, because if the other person says something, you're letting, if whoever says the first number, mm. the, or whoever says a number first, uh-huh. defines the schema. Right, right, right. So you want to be the first person to say something, and you want it to be higher, so you want to say, I think that I deserve $100,000 for this. Mm-hmm. And you'll 
you'll probably get negotiated down to around 70. Hey, you win because you wanted 70. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so interesting to think about. We can apply this to all different kinds of situations in our lives, not just politics, but any conversation, anything that we're trying to accomplish in our lives that we want to sort of frame the discussion around, the subsequent discussion mm. around. If we can talk about it first, if, if we can be the first one to talk about mm. it, we're the ones who sort of define how that goes. Also, I feel like it helps maybe generate some understanding like when you're trying to, like say you're having a conversation with a loved one about politics and they've sure. adopted a schema, <laughs> you know, like that that's that's maybe not allowing the facts to get through. Right. It, it can maybe help under, you help you understand maybe why your barrage of facts aren't working yeah. and maybe try a different approach. Well, <laughs> you know what I example, mean? For example, like the whole MAGA frame is very fact-free and indeed facts are fluid, right? Right. But the whole MAGA frame is essentially based on winning versus losing, on there being winners and, on, and necessarily losers. Mm -hmm. And a very effective, and he actually discussed this in the same article, a very effective approach when talking to a MAGA person and arguing with them mm -hmm. is just to hammer home the point that Donald Trump's a fucking loser. He totally is. He's not a winner. He's a loser. Yep. He's, he's lost in this way and in this way and in this way. Mm -hmm. I thought you liked winning. I thought your whole thing was about <laughs> winning, but this guy's a loser. Why are you attaching yourself to a loser? Turn the schema against itself. You've got to debate people on their turf. Uh -huh. You can't subsequently, you can't ex post facto redefine the frame around a situation. Wow. Once the frame is set, yeah. you can't shift it. That's yeah. actually really valuable to know. It is. So I know that in my own personal experience in those sorts of discussions. Yeah. I have tried to reframe it. Reframing is not as much of a thing as we think. It sounds all high-minded and intellectual. I want to reframe the debate. Mostly you can't reframe a debate. If someone else has chosen their frame, they're sticking with their frame. Which means that if you want to have effective debate with that person, you have to enter their frame and be able to execute effectively inside there. Oof. It's very inspiring to think about, I'm, though. I'm tired thinking about it. But it's like... <laughs> no, I, I get it. You know how sometimes <laughs> just even thinking about how to approach something takes 80% of the mental energy? Yeah. And once you know what you got to do, you can just get in there and do it. Yeah. It's really helpful to think about that. Yeah, totally. I just thought this was fascinating. Well, I'm less dumb, but I'm more tired. <laughs> that seems to be how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about, I, I'm under the impression that you are uh, in search of a gold star. Oh, you know what? It's just a little one. And this is a little bit like wonky about work and how you and I do work. Okay. But it was revelatory to okay. me this week. Okay. okay? Uh, here is the deal. You and I have so many things that we do for work. Yeah. There's not just one thing. It's not just music. And it's not just writing. And it's, you know, there's so many things that we do. And also there's so many little things every single day that we have to do to get them done. Yeah. Just yeah. It's so like many details. Plate spinning. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Sure. There's always a thousand things that you've got to touch. And so many yeah. of them are just like little ongoing onesie twosie. Just like, don't forget to do this tomorrow. Don't forget to do this Thursday. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've tried using reminders in my phone with varying amounts of success. I like it, but it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. It's, anyway, long story short, uh -huh. Shannon, everybody, Shannon oh. invented this thing that last year that she calls a whiteboard. And it's just <laughs> a thing inside a page layout program on her computer. And she has made little colorful boxes. And the biggest box over on the left is kind of like, here's what this week looks like. And it has Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and sometimes Saturday or Sunday, depending. And there's just bullet points. And she just puts anything that needs to get accomplished in bullet points. And then she just has other little boxes that have like little resources, like maybe little snippets of text that she uses all the time for a certain recurring type of post, mm -hmm. maybe. 
or maybe just an inspirational something, or maybe like a vision for the future, or like a here's something to think about three months out. Don't need to do it now, but I just want to sit here so I keep seeing it and thinking about it subconsciously. Mm-hmm. I finally adopted my own whiteboard over this last week. Mm-hmm. It's been life-changing That's for so me. That's so cool. <laughs> like I feel, I like surely part of when I said earlier that I feel relaxed, partly of yeah. it, as I don't have to try to... Th- think anymore. I don't have the stress of, yeah. am I forgetting things? Totally. I just wrote it down in a place that I know to go look for it. Yes. I mean, really what I'm talking about here is note taking. I almost don't know if I deserve a gold star because it's so remedial. Yeah. Maybe a silver star. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of those green stars that the teacher gives you when you got a C, but they want to encourage how you. About, how about you give me the gold star for giving me the idea of your, about your personal whiteboard? Okay. <laughs> Let's just make this a joint gold star and agree that we... Uh, that really you're responsible, but I'm the one taking credit. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's sort of a typical gender role kind of thing. It's nice. <laughs> Woman invents something, man takes credit. Not typical. Uh, how about misogynistic gender role? Yes. Yes, totally. Sexist gender roles. Sexist Uh gender roles. Well, that's great. I'm so glad that the system is working for you and I I have had a similar experience. So that's cool. Yeah, I think it is cool. So uh, this feels important. Please hold for a very important message. All right, I'm going to start with this one. Uh, so I, yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday. Monday was the uh, celebration of the official holiday for Martin Luther King Jr. Birth, Jr.'s birthday. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, social media was flooded with, you know, people posting MLK Jr. quotes, right? And it, it's so interesting to me to see the different kinds of people that I follow on social media and the different kinds of quotes that they post. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like there's some people, like there's this one guy that I follow who, um, you know, if he's going to post, he, he did post something on, on MLK and it was just one of those like blandly inspirational type posts. And I'm like, yep, that fits with what I know about that guy. <laughs> you know, like in terms of, you know, like the, the kind, what, what he would take away from what, what, why we celebrate MLK Day, you know, versus other people who are like more, actually invested in like anti-racist work and the stuff that they post, it's very different, uh-huh. right? And it just kind of comes to this idea that like there, there are there are a lot of ways in which the person of Martin Luther King Jr. has really been seriously whitewashed over the years. Sure. Like the fact of the matter is that when he was alive, only like 25% of the American population uh like his his approval rating was like at twenty five percent. Yeah. Like most of America did not like this guy. Right. When he was alive, right. and he was assassinated. So like you know like there, there was there was a lot of vitriol against yeah. MLK Jr. Right. Yeah. Um. But but so much of like how we've grown up with knowledge of him as a person. I mean, I know for certain that my view of who he it, who he was as mm-hmm. a person and as an activist was totally whitewashed. Like, we grow up with these like nice ideas of MLK and like yeah. you know um, the, the, the ones that don't make us feel bad as white people. Yeah, yeah, he's sort of been like reimagined as this like passive figure, you know, nonviolence, and, and they turn that into how he was like a you know a passive figure, um, which is totally inaccurate. Like he was a he was far more radical than the cherry-picked quotes oh, yeah. that we grew up with, right? Oh, yeah. So I, I saw this post of, of uh, uh, quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. that he isn't remembered for, <laughs> um, posted on, on Instagram by an account called The Mirror. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to read some of them to you because I just feel like it's important mm. to remember the ideas of the man in their fullness yeah. <laughs> and not the 
the toned down version. I mean, he wasn't killed for the toned down stuff. No. You know what I mean? No. He was killed for the radical ideas and they are ever... Uh, they are as relevant today as they were in his time. Sure. So um, here's the first one. The evils of capitalism are as real as the evils of militarism and the evils of racism. The problem of racial injustice and economic injustice cannot be solved without a radical redistribution of political and economic power. Yeah. Those are fighting words. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to go on to the next one. They're kind of like, they kind of relate to each other as I go down this list. You'll see the sort of development of these ideas. Okay. Uh, we have deluded ourselves into believing the myth that capitalism grew and prospered out of the Protestant ethic of hard work and sacrifice. Mm -hmm. The fact is that capitalism was built on the exploitation and suffering of black slaves and continues to thrive on the exploitation of the poor, yep. both black and white, yep. here and abroad. Yep. Word. Mm-hmm. That, 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 I didn't learn that quote in elementary school yeah. is celebrating MLK Day. Not so Here's much. Here's the next one. One day, we must ask the question, why are there 40 million poor people in America? And when you begin to ask that question, you are raising questions about the economic system, about a broader distribution of wealth. When you ask that question, you begin to question the capitalistic economy. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, why are there so many people? You can't just blame the level of poverty in this country, on um, people just being lazy and they don't want to work. Yeah. It's systemic yeah. with that many people. Yeah. Just, yeah, anyway. Although, going back to our discussion about schemas, yep. it turns out, actually, you can completely successfully blame poverty on individual mm. lazy people because, because if you have set up that <sighs> schema and reinforced it for, I don't know, about 150 years, yep. right? Mm. In a religious framework, in a moral framework, that's one of the most successful schemas wow. of all time, right? For like, sure. When people do well in America, it's because capitalism is great. And when people do poorly in America, it's because an individual failing. failing. Personal, personal failing. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes tied to their race and class. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay. Here's, I'm going to keep going. I've got a couple more. Great. Uh, I must say tonight that a riot is the language of the unheard. Mm -hmm. And what, it, what, excuse me, and what is it America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last 12 or 15 years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice and humanity. Mm -hmm. I mean, how often do you... like? Can't we just all get along? Yeah. That sort of like no, we fucking can't. No, that that when people aren't heard, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna react. Yes, okay, going on. I love this one. If this, the, I love this one because Martin Luther King is held up by polite society mm -hmm. as being this this uh, figure of peace. Sure, right. Here's what he has to say about peace. If peace means a willingness to be exploited economically, dominated politically, humiliated and segregated, I don't want peace. If peace means being complacently adjusted to a deadening status quo, I don't want peace. If peace means keeping my mouth shut in the midst of injustice and evil, I don't want it. 
Peace is not simply the absence of conflict, but the existence of justice for all people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Man, these are so great. It's so it's so amazing. Like like you, I was raised with this idea that MLK was, I don't know, what I would describe now is sort of like a black chick, not Han. Like inspiring. Right. You know what I mean? Like someone whose quotes could be in a coffee table book on a white person's coffee table. <laughs> you know what I mean? But also like Thich Nhat Hanh was sort of radical too. Oh, of but course. like only the quotes of his that are more palatable to people <laughs> who are complicit in this system are the ones that get kind of shared most widely. Right. All these people get remade like for really self-serving reasons in the popular image as inspirational, memeable, like we could put a Thich Nhat Hanh quote with a picture of a lotus. Yeah, right. You know, but it's never the Thich Nhat Check not Han quote about like the cupidity of capitalists. Mm. And by the way, cupidity, one of the best words ever. That's a great it, word. I yeah. don't think I know what it means. <laughs> it means lust for material possessions. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, this really does fit entirely with your discussion of schema from earlier, right? Because yeah. like the reality of the person of MLK there were those inspiring quotes. There were those like motivational sounding, like everybody can access this inspiring quote yeah. part of his part of his words. He had right? kitten poster moments. He had kitten poster moments. <laughs> yes. But also but also like the the heart of his message, and also it should be noted, over the course of his work and his life he became more radical yeah. as he dug deeper into the work. He realized that systems needed to be changed even more than he had realized at the beginning of his work, right? So like that that only grew and his words reflect that. Like, but the schema that so many people, the, the schema that the, that the people who are currently in power in the status quo and have been for a very long time in this country um, need to maintain is that like all those all those inflammatory type words need to be kind of buried. And one way you can do that is by elevating the ones that sound like colorblind. Yeah. You know, or, yeah. or class blind. It's so funny. I relate this in my mind as a piece of advice I, I give uh, uh, up and coming engineers who I'm mentoring a mm, lot. Mm. So if you have like a high frequency sound, like every sound has like a, a variety of frequencies in it from low to high. And sometimes the high ones can be piercing and, the, oh. and, and painful to hear. And it's really tempting sometimes. Like if you have a vocal say that just is a little too bright and a little too pushy and a little too piercing in your ears. Okay. The obvious thing is to locate the problem. The problem is piercing high frequencies and just turn the high frequencies down. Okay. But that can sometimes result in a really dead, lifeless, unemotional vocal because a lot of the emotions also carried in that same frequency area. Okay. Something that you can do, like the more ninja way to deal with that, is to increase the low frequencies. Okay. And thereby you balance out and you kind of overcome those painful high frequencies. Okay. It's exactly the same thing with the body mm. of Martin Luther King quotes. Like you don't need to push down the radical stuff. You just need to push up the stuff that isn't radical. Right. Right. And all of a sudden, like that eventually becomes like what we think of. If, if talking about how we need to reimagine our economic system is painful for you because uh -huh, uh -huh. you're really doing well in the current system, yeah. then all you got to do is boost the low frequencies. Just balance it out <laughs> with the warm tones the warm of yeah, pacifism. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah. Amazing. You know, it's funny, you know, talking about how we age with this stuff, you know, and how you get mm. more radicals. MLK got more radicals. Mm -hmm. He got older. You know, I had a conversation about a month ago with a dear friend of mine. Um, and, you know, it's funny. Uh, 
she, she's like, I'm such a screaming progressive socialist loony now. <laughs> and I said, I'm a screaming progressive socialist loony now too. It strikes me as being the only reasonable option. And she said, right? Everyone told me I get more conservative as I got older, but I really just want to jump on cop cars. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, 100% same. It's two things. I have gotten more progressive and I have also gotten increasingly more appalled at people who haven't gotten more progressive. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's kind of the only reasonable option. Like right. if, if you are a thinking, sentient human being who's honestly grappling with the world around them, mm. I honestly don't view any other option as being honest. Mm. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. I feel you. Also, mm -hmm. I think that... Um, it might have been true in previous generations that as people got older, they got more conservative because they had more things to hold on to mm -hmm. economically sure. and didn't want, didn't, you know, I mean, like the boomers got so many, like what, what they call now handouts, yeah. right? Yeah. They got so much given to them, like yep. cheap or free education. Housing. Housing was inexpensive and accessible. There was a whole supply built fresh for right. them and they got given, uh, they got, got given a priority mortgages yeah, for them. Yeah, right. Like, so like got you know, had it all given to them. And then when they acquired things, decided that they want, that generation wanted to hang on to it and not, not give handouts to, you know, people. So we, like Gen X, like the tail end of Gen X, which is our generation, but certainly millennials and certainly Gen Z are seeing a future where they don't actually have access to owning things. Totally. And so like, there's not, there's not even, there's, there's no, there's no incentive to become more conservative, i.e., hoard all your own stuff and not let anybody else have it because you don't have stuff. Yeah. Because the boomer generation has successfully like cut us all out. And of course, ironically, <laughs> let's bring it back to the schema conversation okay. again. Like a schema that has really been pervasive for the last like 30 or so years yeah. has been this idea of makers and takers. Ugh. And so of course you would say that because you're a taker, not a maker. <sighs> right. Right? Of course. So it fits neatly into their worldview and they don't need to examine it further. I need some new schemas. We, we need, need some, some new, new schemas. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yep. Uh, do you have a an item for our This Feels Important section? I do. Uh, and man, it's really interesting. So it is from this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic pause. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there's this guy, uh, David Roberts, um, and he is just a journalist. Mm -hmm. And I read the most interesting Two, uh, two tweet thought of his the other day. Two toot thought. It was not. It was on no, Mastodon. it was not. It was on Twitter, and they were tweets. Oh, I'm sorry. I it's follow okay. him on Mastodon. So yeah, yeah. I saw. It. I saw. It. It's funny. I saw someone posting about a Mastodon, but linking to Twitter. So uh, okay. So there you go. All right. Sorry. Yep. So he says, if you ask. Uh, 10 right-wingers what the actual crime or scandal was around Benghazi, you'll get 10 different answers. I used to think that that was a weakness, but I've since realized it's a core part of the, com the comms strategy, the communication strategy. Mm. They're explicitly trying to do the same thing with Hunter Biden. That's another meme that's in the news, right? And he continues, the beauty of the vagueness, the lack of any commonly agreed referent is that it can never be decisively refuted. Mm -hmm. It becomes a free-floating label that right-wingers attach to their gut feeling that Dems are illegitimate. That feeling never goes away, and so <laughs> neither will the quote-unquote scandal. So, Remember with Benghazi and her emails, Hillary's emails, what did it mean? Nothing. No one knows. It just kept saying emails because it, it just became a meme. It became yes. a reference. And because it was so vague uh -huh. and because it was so nebulous, 
you couldn't refute it and it stuck to her. Did you mean that to, to share this in the same episode as the, your whole schema conversation? Because that's what this feeds in. That's, that's I know. what this ties back to. I, I didn't intend to. I found these two things independently. But I it, actually found this one first. But how wild is it that the schema thing ties into it? Everything's yeah, about schemas. It's, it's, it's about the perception that they have about Democrats that, you know, they're, that they're in this case, what, uh, that there's corruption or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So that's just what they believe. And so every fact has to fit into that belief system. Yeah. Therefore, you can just say things like Benghazi or Hunter Biden or her emails. And it's like, it's like dog whistles. They know exactly what it means. Yeah. Even if there's nothing, it's a total nothing burger. It's almost like <laughs> less dog whistles and more like knee jerk response, really. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's just Pavlovian. It's ringing a bell and the audience salivates. Yeah. And you know, it really made me think this particular thing viewed in the larger context of the schema conversation really makes me come back to the importance of defining an issue first. And really, mm -hmm. if you think about it from a communication strategy standpoint, mm -hmm. if there is something bad and it's gonna come out, Mm -hmm. you should be the first one to say it. Right. Even if it's bad on you, even right. if it's something that's bad about you, yeah, you it's define. better for you to come out and define what it is and get that out there first than to let someone else do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Wow. Well, next time you are uh, running communication strategy for a public figure, you can keep that in mind. <laughs> or, you know, also it doesn't have to be about negative stuff. You um, know, like if we're going to be communicating about something we're doing, the first thing we say about it is really important. That that behooves us to think oh, about. For sure. And yeah. for anybody who's thinking about communicating something to another person, mm -hmm. the first thing you say about anything kind of defines the frame for it. So be mindful with your words. Yeah, totally. I could really use a stop at the Inspiration Station. Inspiration Station. I am under the impression you've got something lovely and inspiring for us. Yeah, well, sort of. Okay. Yes. Well, I mean, why sort of? No, it is. It is. It is. It's not like... Is it a sort of Inspiration gonna, Station? No, it's it's inspiring. It was inspiring to me. I read this uh, this Instagram post by a woman named Kate De Palma. Mm-hmm. Shared with, shared by by another friend that I follow. I don't remember who it was, but okay. this is what she says. She said, "I'm pleased to announce that I am no longer behind on everything. <laughs> I didn't catch up. I just decided that where I am isn't behind." Aww, isn't that a nice perspective shift? Yeah, I really I think that that's there's just a lot of truth in that. Yeah, we we are sold an idea that we're constantly behind or that, that that there's a a particular timeline or track we're supposed to be on mm -hmm. and it's all baloney like somebody made that up and we bought into it you know like yeah. like we're just humans on this planet in a vast universe like <laughs> there's no schedule yeah. you know what i mean there really isn't yeah there really isn't and yeah. at least for more nebulous personal things yeah. I'm under the impression I still got to pay the mortgage on the first. Well, yes, that's true. And then, then probably this argument. We should just forward Evergreen. <laughs> just, just forward our mortgage company, this Instagram post on the first. Yeah, maybe. Look, guys, things have changed. Yeah, I just decided that where I am isn't behind. No, we're not behind. <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, obviously. But like, I think it's more a mentality thing. It's more, uh, you know, when we feel like we're behind or we're lacking or we're not enough, that's when we're most vulnerable to 
need to, to, to feelings that we need to consume stuff to fill those voids that we're experiencing, right? Yeah. To catch up, be enough. Yeah. And all that. And I, I think it's just really important to kind of undo that narrative a little bit. You yes. know, I didn't catch up. I just decided that where I am isn't behind. I love it. Yep. Wonderful. Yeah. MLK. No, that was not MLK. I know. I'm just making no. a joke. <laughs> okay. Because it's such a kitten poster sentiment. I'm just imagining oh like gosh. MLK saying it. Oh my goodness. Aww. So good. So hey, should we finish up with a little gratitude crank up? That sounds great. Mine is really simple. Okay. Um, we were having a conversation with some friends recently about uh, the daily gratitude practice that that I do and... Mm-hmm. Um, one of these friends had started a, sort of a daily gratitude practice with their family. And so we were talking about the nature of that. And one of our friends said, well, can can the the things that you express gratitude for be really small? Like, you know, he's like, oh, and he, yeah. said, he said, for instance, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something, it was something to do with like when he took the the kettle off of the stove, there was like a, a warm feeling or a scent that he that he experienced. I, it, oh, those are like the best ones, right? Because they imply you're looking at the everyday world through a gratitude lens. Well, and that's that's he was asking, is it okay to, to have those as your moments? And I'm like, yes, of course. And I think I got his thing ex- wrong. It wasn't exactly that, but the, that's the point. Is that like sometimes for me, I don't have something profound yeah. to express gratitude for on my daily gratitude practice. Like oftentimes, sometimes I have to. I have to think about really small moments or really small, like fundamental things that I can express gratitude for. And honestly, it's those, it's it's searching for those small moments or those small things that sometimes I think make the most profound effect on my spirit. For sure. You know, because the point for me of doing a gratitude practice is to draw my attention to things in my life that that bring me joy. Or it's bring to me cultivate joy. a pervasive, general, and ongoing sense of gratitude in one's life. Right. That's the point. The point of a gratitude practice is to force one's mind back and back and back over and over mm-hmm. and over into that routine until it becomes routine and you don't have to think about it anymore and you notice things like the warm feeling from the kettle on the stove and you connect it with a sense in mm-hmm. your own spirit of gratitude. That's yeah. the whole point of exactly. the practice. Yeah. yeah. So mine in that spirit is very small today and I was thinking about how I'm um, this afternoon going to make uh, some fresh bread mm-hmm. and soup for mm-hmm. dinner. And uh, I have gratitude for the good food in our fridge and in our cupboards with which I'm going to make that meal. Like I, I'm just really grateful that, that we have good food to eat. I love it. That's, That's it. great. And my uh, gratitude uh, for today is similarly quotidian. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I wrote down that I'm grateful for the chunky little birds screwing around in the yard. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I was just looking, uh, I was brushing my teeth and looking out the bathroom window this morning and there were so many chunky little chickadees and mm. robins out there just kind of doing their thing. It was slightly rainy last night, so some of the smaller birds were sipping water out of upturned leaves that were like making little tiny bowls. Oh my bowls. gosh, how cute. It was so cute. And some of the bigger birds were trying to get worms, mm-hmm. but like little worms because they're still small birds and the whole thing was just freaking adorable. And it was just such a nice meditation on like mm. no matter what's going on in the world, these guys don't know. Yeah. They're just out there being little birds. Yeah. And it's so great and it's so cute and it was very joyous and it brought me happiness. So I was grateful for that. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Y'all, we're grateful for you joining us today and giving us a little bit of your time. Thank you so much for doing that. Yes. Um, 
we'll be back again next week with another episode. Mm -hmm. uh, this podcast is made possible by the ongoing financial direct support of our Misfit Stars community. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Stars, if you are part of that group of people that gives us a little bit of money each month to keep our train moving down the track. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening and you're like, I'm not part of that group, but I really actually do value the work that Jamie and Shannon do in the world, this podcast included, mm -hmm. it's about darn time I become a supporting member. Well, listen to that yeah. little inner voice. You're worth not ours. Yeah. <laughs> you can go to misfitstars.com slash support mm -hmm. and choose which small dollar monthly amount you'd like to contribute to this cause. We would, uh, it would make a real difference for us in our lives and we would be so grateful. I really appreciate when I get a chance to do the rhetorical device of setting up a straw man, but then agreeing with it. <laughs> it's a little twist on the straw man argument, oh, yeah. really. It's good. It's I like good. it. Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you again next week. And until then, uh, please take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love y'all. Bye. Bye.